This is the Outback Way podcast, proudly sponsored by our HEMA Guidebook and Atlas. Welcome to the Outback Way podcast. I am Helen Lewis. Buckle up as we take you on Australia's longest shortcut, a journey through the heart of Australia. Welcome to the Outback Way podcast. And today it gives me great pleasure to introduce Lindy Severin from Curtin Springs, who have, and Curtin Springs has been operating in the tourism sector in Central Australia for over 30 years. Welcome, Lindy. Uh, how are you today? Thanks for joining us. Fine, Miss Helen. Thank you very much. And it's over 60 years. Not Sorry, over 60 30. years. Well, there you go, double yes. it. <laughs> of course, it's 2020. <laughs> it's, a, it's a long time ago. Yeah. So the, the history of Curtin Springs is significant um, for Central Australia. It was one of the first places that you could get a tea, cup of tea and a scone on your way to uh, Uluru. And, uh, yeah, I'd like you to just uh, talk about the transition, I guess, uh, I mean, you know, in very, you know, in summary about uh, that 60 years of the changes you've seen. Okay. Well, Peter and Dawn Severin, so my mother and father-in-law, came out in 1956 to take over Curtin Springs Station. And Curtin Springs Station at that point in time was the end of the road. So they were a young married couple with stars in their eyes and, and now a mortgage they couldn't jump over. Um, so they came out to start their own life's adventure as station owners. So they, they were at the end of the road. So Ayers Rock at that point in time didn't exist as a tourist destination and there was only a two-wheel track that headed out there from here. So in the first year that Pete and Dawn were here, only six people drove down the road, So which isn't very many. The second year, nine people drove down the road. So there was a 50% increase okay. on that first year, but, yeah, right. but our raw numbers are, are quite interesting. So as those early visitors to Central Australia, those early intrepid visitors um, started to explore, there weren't any roadhouses, there weren't any wayside inns, there weren't any resorts. So everything that those visitors needed were provided by the stations, uh, by the people who were already living here. Uh, And Curtin Springs was no exception to that. So Pete and Dawn provided... cup of tea and uh, a chin wag for those early visitors because from the ladies' perspective, we haven't changed where we are on the map, but how we deal with isolation is very different now. So my story is very different to my mother-in-law's story, uh, who was living on the cattle station when the men were away from home for six weeks at a time Mm. and 15 people drove down the road in two years. So... That's a little bit different to what we're dealing with now. Yeah. So those early services were offered by Pete and Dawn. Eventually somebody said, oh, you haven't got a beer, have you? So Pete acquired a, a liquor licence, which at that point said he needed to have stabling for horses. Yeah, wow, there you are. Three beds um, and the ability to sell alcohol. So, and Pete still holds that liquor licence now. So Dawn made millions of cups of tea and scones over the years. When Len Chewett started running his tours out from Alice Springs, Len believed that there was potential uh, Mm. and that visitors would want to come see the rock. So he um, was running tours out from Alice Springs uh, during the winter months, during the, the tourist season, and they wouldn't run during the summer. And that was Len started running those. Pete and Dawn put on their first staff member. Uh, so somebody who would then work on the tourist side of the business with Dawn. 
They put in some underground fuel tanks because the petrol in the 44-gallon drums was boiling uh, during the summer. So they put in some underground fuel tanks. And it's progressed from there. So Pete and Dawn were opened Curtin Springs as the first official wayside inn in Central Australia. Uh, and we are still technically a wayside inn now. Yeah, that's um, correct. Um, and so then, you know, if we do a comparison. For a second, I'll, I'll yep. just see what ashes. Yeah, so, uh, so we've now got 27 accommodation rooms and the campground and the fuel and the store and the restaurant and, and we can... And what's your, what's your average numbers? Kind of what are the average, what, what are, you know, in a normal season, or if we are going to have one of those again, what, what are the average numbers for a season? Uh, so we calculate some numbers. So we put through between fifty and 60,000 meals a oh, year. Wow. We average usually between 22 and 25 staff during the peak of the season. Yeah. And we put through about eighty-five to 90,000 individual transactions through the tills which relates to obviously a lot, a lot more people than that. Our utilisation rate in, in accommodation rooms sits now sort of around the, the 60% year yeah. round. Obviously, okay. it's you know, during the, the busy yeah, time. Yeah, sure, year, understood. But yeah, sitting around the 60%, which is great. Yeah, so, and, and, how, and, and your caravan park fills up on occasion? So, we have, so we've got unpowered and powered sites. Uh, we don't have any charge for the unpowered sites and yeah. and that's the way that Pete and um, Dawn and now Ashley and myself operate and have done and there are no plans to change that. Yeah, there good. is a charge for the powered sites. Certainly last year when there was the lead up to the close of the climb, campground was sardine packed. Yes. Uh, and during the busy time of the yes, where campgrounds yeah. usually very We've only got a limited number of powered sites and that's purely because of our logistics. So, yeah, the campground's certainly a very big part of the business. Yeah, that's right. And so I guess we, um, I'm keen to just talk about some more of the economic factors in regards to tourism and the value, I guess, to your business. I mean, you obviously always have an operating station and uh, so the tourism is an additional business and it's an enterprise, part of the Curtin Springs offering and uh, I guess yeah I'm just interested to know a bit more about the um, the phases that have you know the ceiling of the road between Curtin Springs and Uluru and I mean that the impact that would have made that would have made a catapult you know that would have made a big shift for uh, Dawn and Peter if it was you know in its time in their time there and and yours and I guess I just yeah just interested to know that the big sort of like you mentioned, one one big event was yet last year when they were the the closing of the climb was uh, it, you know was was happening and uh, people made a run for it. Um, but um, just wondering, um, has been other big significant changes either in infrastructure that have actually really enabled tourism to take another level, you know, to go up another level for you in your business. And I think it's really important to to understand that there are some drivers like yep. that, but a lot of that change has been driven by customers. Yep. So if you look at what was on the road in the 70s before yep. and the early 80s before the bitumen went in, there were huge numbers of travellers, but they were mainly big coach buses with yep. 40 or 50 people, mainly domestic Yep. You know, we, we didn't have the huge international numbers that we have now. So 
what did uh, so the bitumening of the Stewart Highway, yes. which was one thing, yes, um, getting right. more people Absolutely. up, mm. in the bitumening um, out to out of the Lassiter, what that meant was a change in the visitors. Yes, they could be So families. it meant that they we could... had more individual vehicles yeah. travelling, the self-drive, as opposed to the tour group. Yeah. Now, the big 40-seater Australian traveller isn't as prominent in that demographic anymore. That's so right. they're smaller groups. There's a lot. The internationals usually make up those those bigger groups, and your self-drive family car, caravan, camper, come up here and hire a car and drive yep. is a very different part of the market now. So the bitumen at that point meant that there was a different market. It also meant that the perception of the outback experience and adventure mm. changed as well because it wasn't as remote. It yeah. wasn't as difficult to get mm. to. So you changed, you changed people's perception of what they wanted to come out here, changed how they could get here, and therefore all of the support systems needed to change around that. That's right. Yes, it so, wasn't just the mascons so, because you may not have the bus arriving. You might have, you know, 30 different cars at different times. You didn't know when they were coming, and all those things had to be a little bit more dynamic, didn't they? You couldn't just book in at 11 yeah. and, and deliver a tea and scone. The, um, and what I think we put it in context too, I mean, Yulara and Uluru, you know, they're three and a half, four hours from Alice Springs and you're an hour from Alice, you're an hour from, from Ayers Rock. So it's, to me, that's, you know, and if you think of that, there's 400 kilometres of seal that wasn't there when the buses were coming. Uh, and so now that's been sealed and, and it, you know, can, you know, it's, it's you know, all the way and beyond. So I think, I think that's uh, just putting in context for people about we're talking about a significant infrastructure development for that ceiling yeah. to, and, the, and, and the change that occurred. And the seal means that you can have more regular transport. So your meals that you can offer mm. can be more sophisticated because you're getting more regular access to that's fresh right. food or yeah, different types true. of supplies. Your building capacity is yeah. increased because a truck can get there, you know, and workers can get there in a viable way. Yes. Um, you can move transportable buildings. Yes, you can move them on the dirt as well, but at an increased cost. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, less, less risk. <laughs> yeah, less risk by the time it gets. So it means that you can, and you are then more attractive for staff. There are always going to be some staff who, who want to be as far off the grid as they can possibly get. Um, and that's great because that's what we are. But then you also want some staff who, who need to have reasonable access to medical facilities, for example. So mm -hmm. we're at Curtin Springs at the moment. We've got a two-month-old baby, a brand-new baby who belongs to one of the staff, and we've got um, one in the oven as well yeah. that's due in a couple of months. How exciting. So... They're, they're able to access all of the medical services in Yulara or in Alice Springs yeah. much more easily. Yes. So it means that as an employer, we're able to attract a mm. different demographic of the staff as yes. well. That's right. Exactly. That has meant we've had to change, we've, we've had to put in different staff quarters. So instead of them just being sort of single room accommodation, yeah. you've got to have families. Backpack and staff. 
we now have to have family. But isn't that great? I mean, and that, that I think is great because it means that your business, like the business, you know, developing and and as a result attracting families to come as, a, as actually a genuine way of, of settling down and, and it's a lifestyle choice. Uh, and But it's obviously the conditions are right for that to happen, you know, and I think that's a great testament to you and uh and the family just to actually have created that environment for that longevity of employment and, and you know, making it a, a genuine opportunity and option for someone. So I think, you know, those are the, I think they're the really, some, sometimes we, uh, we talk about tourism and it's all about overnight stays and numbers and, and things like that. But uh, to me, it's also then the, the support and the, the employment of, of people who actually deliver the experience that people are actually paying for and the numbers of people who are employed and, and the fact that, you know, they're long-term employees, employees now. They're not just the transient backpacker that's just coming for a few months to get an experience. And that, that's um, a, fairly, uh, a fairly significant shift, isn't it, for a business? Absolutely. And you know, I need to say and be very clear, uh, our business relies on that short-term international worker to mm. get through the peaks sure. of the season. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they're absolutely vital. And we've got some of those staff over the years that we still send Christmas cards to and get Christmas cards from. And, and Pete and, and Ash and Curtin Springs and Mount Connor have had a number of children named after them over the years from <laughs> staff that have been here. I w- we've we started to and we've not, we've not actually come up with a final number of how many marriages occurred because of people who met while they were here over the years. So, and with those longer term staff, you know, when anybody's working here, they're living here. So it's their home at that point in time. Mm. It's certainly our home, and mm. that's what we like to share with you. But if you've got staff who are staying for multiple years or longer, then their emotional attachment is exactly what they can provide to the visitor about, you know, well, this is my True. home. Um, it's right. not just the severance home, it's my home as yeah. well. And they have the value to the business can't be valued. Can't, you can't put a number on it because they're our advocates every day. You know, we all work really hard with staff to make sure that we're all delivering the best experience possible. Yeah. That honest, authentic, emotional connection that staff can have with their workplace and their employer mm. and treat it as their home, uh, you can't buy. No, that's right. So yeah. no, and, yeah, and that's we're, really, we're really proud to be able to do that with people. Yeah. So be able to give them that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so now just sort of widening the, the, the conversation out to, I guess, you know, the Outback Way and the ceiling of, of this route from Western Australia through to Queensland, do you think this is going to be another, and I mean, we've touched on little changes we've seen and, and sealing of the road, but given that people will be able to trend, go through Australia, through the heart of Australia and with, you know, on a bitumen road in, you know, 10 years' time, what, um, what, what you know, that sort of transition, what kind of other benefits do you see um, occurring with that? And uh, from a tourism perspective, how, how do you see that uh, playing out for Central Australia or even wider afield in your experience with tourism? Again, I think there are a number of components of that. There is the experience that the individual traveller will have and they will see 
no pun intended, but the true heart mm. of Australia, which mm. is what people's perception is of Australia. We've got the beach and we've got the desert and people are drawn to one or the other. But if you wanted to look at you know, what is it that makes the heart sing when somebody thinks about Australia, it's usually the desert. Yeah. It's usually the centre of Australia. So more people are going to be able to experience that full time. And certainly some of the research that Tourism Australia and Tourism NT have done over the last couple of years have found that people actually feel more Australian when they're in the outback even Australians. So we're going to be able to take that opportunity and expand it and Mm -hmm. be able to offer some some really interesting options. That's one part of it. The other part of it is that we are going to have to increase all of the other support services. So at the moment, there's very limited opportunity to get mechanical supplies, you know, tyres, new batteries, you know, there's certainly yeah. some, some at Ilara, but between Alice Springs and Laverton. So somewhere in that middle, we're going to have to increase those services. There's an opportunity so it's, for someone. And it's a range of, yeah, because yeah. you can't put a vehicle on a tow truck in Warburton yeah, and send it to Alice Springs. You know, it's just not going to happen. So there needs to be an expansion of those services. You're going to need more freight running through. You're going to need more warehouse space. You're going to, you know, so you're going to need more cauldrons if we're running more food services through. Uh, you need cold storage and, and freight to go with that. You need houses to, to put all of those people in. That means you've then got to have more medical services and, and those things that are more accessible. So the experience of the individual traveller is one thing. How we make that happen has got probably 17 other pieces in it. And it's, and it's, it's, it's going to be a mix of both private sector and you know, government support, but I think um, there's a lot of private opportunity, private sector opportunities there with private businesses being able yeah. to develop as, as numbers increase. And I guess it's an interesting one because until the last bit of seal, the last 10 k's of seal is done, people will go, oh, well, maybe, you know, will they set the... Will they set those services up before it's just complete or will they wait for it to be completed? Because that's the sort of thing that's it's kind of like the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle of actually making that connection. So, um, no, it's a, a good, uh, that's right. I mean, you're right. I mean, there's, there's so many services that can be provided. But also I think, you know, there's is that, you know, there is going to be more access to fresh food and, and as you say, even easier to bring in supplies and actually live a, a probably a life with a lot more choice, in fact, uh, which is uh, not a bad yeah. thing sometimes. So, hmm. Well, and, and sometimes, but then we also need to balance that with what's going to be provided there. You cannot expect to be the same as what's being provided upon yeah. life. And we need to make sure that we are very clear with visitors that this is a different experience that may not get today's paper today. No, may right. get a paper this week, but it's not necessarily going to be today's paper today. And yes. if that's what you want, then you need to be thinking very carefully about how you do it. And that's probably one of the one challenges for everybody along the way is to make sure that people are prepared. It is still a long way. Whether mm. it's bitumen or dirt, it's a long way. Yes. Your vehicle needs to be in tip-top condition. 
personally need to be physically able to do mm. that trick. You need to be able to problem solve yes. along the way. So mm. this has happened, so what are we going to do about it and not expect that you're going to get mobile service and somebody's going to come to your rescue. So, you know, there's a whole education process mm. because it is, you could argue in Australia, it is the last frontier yes. for those big travels. And there's lots of opportunities, but there are some risks. So mm. we need to make sure that we've got that education process clear. And that's about consistent messaging. That's about uh, consistent awareness. Yeah. That's about paying attention to and there's a real balance between what the customer is saying that they need and what the reality is about what can be provided. Yes. So that needs to be an honest dialogue. Saying that, if we've got those infrastructure pieces in place, yes. then it could be that you've got, pick whatever scenario you want, you've got the helicopter landing pads every three or 400 kilometres so yes. somebody can do the hopping or part of that process where you can you can have multiple experiences along the way. So you yeah. could drive part of it, you could fly part of it, you could drive another part of it, depending on what personal preferences and finances to be able to do that. That's right. So, there are little bits you know, that you can do here and there, isn't there? So that's, that's quite useful. Yeah. yeah. And we would be very naive. You and I sitting in the positions that we do in this part of the world mm. would be very naive to have a plan, you know, the five-year marketing plan or the 10-year business plan that's got everything sorted out because we have got no idea what could potentially walk in the door. So the most important line in our marketing plan or our business yeah. plan will be take advantage of any opportunity that walks in. Because yeah. there's no way that you can predict what will happen. No, that's um, it. So, you know, we touched on earlier about, I just wanted to go back to those sort of different major events. Mm. Certainly, bitumen ink, various sections in the NT and in the Outback was part of that. We've had, on the pastoral side of things, we have a 7 to 10 year rain cycle. So mm. we have a good season every seven to 10 years. Yeah. We have, you know, average seasons in the middle of that and then we have bloody crappy seasons um, for a little bit of that seven to Mm. ten years. So you have to be able to, when you are living in the landscape and using the land productively, you need to be able to to manage that a bit. Now, certainly one of the things across the Outback Way at the moment is, you know, certainly there is some cattle transport between the Northern Territory and and towards Calgary and, and I think that that will increase. And if you look at the circumstances at the moment, even our circumstances, you know, we've got a one of our children married a farmer in New South Wales. Mm. You know, don't know what she was thinking. So they're on a farm down in New South Wales between Dubbo and Parks. Now, they've yeah. had some rain down there. They've had three years of crap, but they've got some rain now. So for the first time in our history, we're sending cattle south to get them ready for sale down there. Now, it's a model that's used up here by lots of family stations, but we've never done that. There's, it's closer to go to Kalgoorlie and go into the bottom of Western Australia yeah. than it is to go to Dublin. So, you know, it, open, it means that that opportunity to either sell cattle, for example, into the markets over there mm-hmm. or be able to move them to feedlot or, or other, other destinations doubles. 
because we've got a completely different destination. And that's available to everybody in Central Australia. Most of us in Central Australia sell down south direct to slaughter or to feedlots for finishing to go into slaughter. So mm. we don't, we generally don't run Brahmins. We run British bred cattle. We generally don't go into the, to the live export market. So we produce Brahmins and Angus and Murray Greys and Shorthorns in Central yes. Australia. Yeah, Brahmins. absolutely. What's interesting about the Western Australia got- development is that, you know, there's so many, so much pastoral country that has, you know, has now got some mines on them, but they, they run some animals. But I can see this road as, a, you know, is a sealed road right past the, the front gate of, of a lot of these pastoral places in Western Australia. That pastoral operation will actually be, there'll be a, an impetus to actually get going again in a, in a genuine form. And, and the trading between Central Australia yeah. and WA will be fantastic. And, uh, and I know that Tanami already take uh, trucks through to, uh, to Western Australia. So it must be uh, viable, you know, or maybe, you know, as an option because it's happening and not often, but it does happen. And, uh, and I think that there's uh, that, that development of the pastoral sector from Central Australia into WA, Central Australia into Queensland with sealed routes will be extraordinary. And, and what it does for Central Australia is it actually provides a completely new marketing option, you know, really significant to two very good options, whereas in the past, Central Australia has been fairly limited where you, you know, the, the, the buyers at the, on market day can be a bit limited sometimes. So it's, uh, yeah. it, it's a real opportunity now for, for Central Australian producers to, to widen their market options. But it also, it also works the other way. Um, yeah, sure. So certainly, you know, family, family in Dubbo, some cattle, but, but sheep and cropping. And in that part of the world, mm. sheep producers are buying sheep from Western Australia and transporting them yeah. because it's cheaper than trying to buy anything in New South Wales. Yeah. So not only is there the market for Central Australians to be moving beef for finishing or for slaughtering or for something else, but there's also the opportunity for those Western Australian producers mm. to be selling cows, selling bulls. So when it's only 1,500 kilometres from us to Kalgoorlie or round figures, that's a lot different to having to take them across the bottom and then bring them up the top as far yeah. as transport is. That's exactly right. For a, you know, a bull that you might have paid $20,000. So, so that's, that's going to work both ways Mm. and even as something as simple as when you're trucking cattle and we don't normally get charged this because we're on the bitumen now but if you are trucking cattle then the guy who's who's trucking whose trucks they are will charge you a premium Mm. if he needs to go bush to pick up the cows on the dirt road which is absolutely understandable absolutely the damage is is Uh, very costly yeah so If they're running on the dirt to try and, and mm. transport your cattle, then it increases the cost. Um, yes. So if we can reduce the cost of some of those overheads, which are in reality fixed costs for us because we don't have a choice, yes. then it means that other, other options are viable from that pastoral point of view. Yeah, um, that's true. And again, there's no, there's no end in that. 
there's no. no, you know, this is the only option that we've got. It's just about somebody thinking outside the square. Yeah, um, I mean, and once you've, got an, to- once you've got an enabling infrastructure of a sealed road, you know, let's use human creativity and problem solving to to uh, make the most of it. There's so, you know, even, are endless. yeah, we've not, I've not seen a hay truck come across the dirt over the last three or four years when things have been really tough. See hay trucks on the Stewart. I yes. have. I've not. Sa- I'm not saying they haven't been. I've just not seen them. So over the four years, I've not seen a hay truck come from mm. the west. So it's not only those those animal producers. Yes. But it's the the cereal crops and things as well gives them another market. Exactly. Um, and, and, and it does say. This route saves 10 hours of transport between WA and Queensland. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a whole day of travel for a truck driver, which is enormous yeah. value. And I guess, you know, as we were talking about the bitumen and, and your, um, you know, you've raised before that there is bitumen and then there is a bit of a re-education about the road going past, you know, is going past people's homes and it's going through them actually as the bitumen splits the properties um, either side of the road is usually private property. And so it is, we've got to be mindful and remind people to leave no trace, but also actually this is private property and um, it's, it's a bit like we need to ensure that we don't go off the beaten track because you're then driving on someone else's place. So I think, you know, this is a good opportunity to talk about that and, uh, and just making people aware that, as you were, you were saying before about it's no different from being an urban, an urban suburb and someone driving yeah. past your place, you know, in... Uh, there's, again, a couple of pieces of that puzzle. There are huge benefits to putting the bitumen in place, huge economic benefits for all the regions involved. There's, there's no question about that. However, there are also still visitors who want to do the dirt, and we are taking some of those last really big adventurous trips away from that part of the market. The risk there is that they will then decide that they can go and do something else. And what that means is that they will look to go places that they really shouldn't be going. Now, it could be that there's an opportunity or places along the way to go, well, we've got the opportunity. You can come and do some four-wheel driving where we are. Uh, You know, it's not something that Curtin Springs is looking at, but there is the potential for that in some places. We need to keep an eye on that because people do want to, get dusty and dirty. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess, you know, the Outback Way in itself links people to some fairly iconic four-wheel drive tracks that still exam and still are up and running. So it's not like it's, there's yeah. no dirt. It's actually just the, the act, we are actually an access route to some really significant dirt four-wheel drive tracks. So, but, yes, and I think, I think it's about respecting the private property that you're travelling through, even if it is a bitumen road, and also looking out for the signs that say you can can if there are no signs that you can then don't yeah so you know i often say that just because there's not a white picket fence yes doesn't mean it's not somebody's home just because you can't see the house yes doesn't mean that it's not somebody's family that lives there that's true and we have you know we all have increasingly now a whole range of accreditation and programs that we need to be able to sign on the dotted line that mm. says we can control a whole range of things. Uh, and we're also legally responsible for things. So if you are driving your full drive 
off the road in the incorrect place here, then I can almost guarantee you've done it somewhere else. And the weeds and the other plants that you bring with you and drop on our property, we're actually legally responsible for controlling mm. those weeds in perpetuity. Mm. So for you to be able to find a spot that you think is a good spot tonight means that we've got a legal obligation that forever. Mm. And we may or may not know that they're there until they're a bigger issue than we could possibly know. So yeah. the message is stay in the structured camp spots. Mm. There are plenty of free camp spots along the way. You, you know, if you want some extra facilities, there's places like Curtin Springs and the other wayside inns along the way support the school. There are plenty of spaces where you can stop. Mm. But stay inside that structured area. Don't go over the sand hill at the back. Don't go down to the second desert oak and turn left. You know, you need to be aware that just because something's listed on one of the campsite apps doesn't mean it's fair game. It's legal. <laughs> and, and, um, yeah, all fine. it means is that somebody has potentially broken the law before you. So don't do that. Oh, but it says here. Yeah, no. Stay in the structured sites. Pick up your rubbish. Mm. That includes used toilet paper. Yes. Girls can shake it as good as boys. There is absolutely no reason if you're doing a bush wee why you need four metres of toilet paper. <laughs> and if you must, then you put it in your car and you take it to a bin. Don't leave it laying on the side of the road for somebody else to look at. You know, how disrespectful is that? Would you do that on the footpath in front of your house or would you go onto your front lawn or your neighbour's front lawn and do that? No. So That's right. please don't do that on my home. Yeah, it's, and it's, it is so, yeah. all about subscribing to leave no trace and, and actually um, being respectful for the, of the environment in which you're travelling and, uh, yeah. and be much yeah. better with that. Now, that's great. And, and that's, that's important for, you know, organisations like the Outback Way and, yeah. and the other tourist organisations to have that consistent message yes. um, that people need to be respectful uh, and a lot of people don't understand that, it's, that it is private land. They think, oh, well, there's nobody here and it's, you know, it's vacant crown land or it's national park or it's, well, yeah. don't well, know. Even, well, it's even it. worse. I know well, it's not the worst, but it's, I mean, a national park's not, not a great place for doing it. Yeah, abs <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. so, um, so it's, it's about understanding what the privilege is to be able to do some of those activities um, and to be able to yeah. stay, in, you know, we live here because we think it's bloody damn spectacular. And we're really proud and honoured to be able to look after the land that we're responsible for. And we can understand why people want to come and see it. But please be respectful. Yeah, that's absolutely. So stay only in the structured campsites. Don't dump your black waste. If you dump your black waste on a pastoral station that has organic status, that can breach our organic status. Please don't try and put them down septic tanks. Septic tanks don't work that way. No, find the blacks. So... If we were going to look probably at a single facility yes. uh, that needs that to be could be useful along the way, it'll be black waste dump points. So because we can't put them into our septic system, they, yeah. you know, it just can't work. So there's lots of those things that just put your thinking hat on and work out how you're going to, to do that along mm. the way. You know, maybe use the public facilities. No, that's good. That's maybe a good point. Mm. Thanks, Lindy. That's really good. And... Uh, I wish you all the very best as, as things start to open up and uh, hope it uh, hope you can 
and make the most of the what's left of the season. And uh, hopefully um, there'll be some maybe some late tra- later travellers into November, December. Who knows? But um, hope it's a you yeah. know, hope it picks up. I think we I think we just need to yeah keep rubbing that crystal ball, polishing the scratches out of it, and see what happens. And and just respond. You know, none of us know exactly what's going to happen. We can only make the best decision we can. But it's also really important that businesses will need to make decisions that affect their viability. So we will be saying we're not doing some things because if we do that, we're, it's costing us more. And that's okay when everything else is working to its capacity. But if yeah. we can't do it if we're not offsetting that somewhere else. No, um, that's right. And we probably ask that visitors need to be conscious of that and respectful of that. Yeah, yeah. Well. It's, a, it's a, I guess, a period of adapting, isn't it, really, and and making sure that uh, yeah. that you're you're doing what you can um, with what's viable and uh, given numbers and given given other you know, all the extenuating circumstances. So, but yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah, guests. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people are, are fairly understanding, and uh, you'd hope to think that they'll um, enjoy it. They'll, they will enjoy it anyway. And uh, yeah, there's a, yeah. There's a an enormous amount to see. So. Terrific. And so, I oh, think that's you. probably going to be that's going to be one of the benefits is that we are going to see more Australians who may not have planned to do more mm. travel in Australia. You know, they may have planned to be travelling overseas. And I think my personal opinion is that we're going to have people go, Oh my God, I had no idea yeah. that we had all <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You know? I know. And and Tourism Australia and Tourism NT and New South Wales and Western Australia will all be going, we've been telling you guys, you know, you've just not been paying attention. So I think what we're going to find, our personal opinion, is that Mm -hmm. we're going to find visitors now who want to stay longer, who want to, you know, delve a bit deeper, want to take that breath and do what we, we tell them to do and that is take the time, do one thing, do it well. Yes. Don't try and do everything. Thing. Do one thing and do it really well. Yeah, that's right. And really get into that experience. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be the value to the visitor in the next little while is that they are going to get experience that they hadn't planned for. That's it. And, you know, it's about making inland Australia the next shiny object. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in their in their mind, so, you know, yeah. it's uh, it's it's making it the shiny object. So yeah, no, it's great. So uh, might have to get and use that. Are you going to put that up somewhere so we can? Yes, I think I probably will. Okay. <laughs> use it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I've been I've been talking about slow travel. You know, we've yes. got slow food. We've got slow mm. fashion. Mm. You know, I think we're going to have. I think we should have slow travel that's right yeah people take the breath and rear and there's two sides of the coin where people are going to be able to share experiences with not a lot of other people for probably once in a lifetime that means that businesses are going to do it tough absolutely but that experience for the visitor is going to be yeah. absolutely really valuable yeah, yeah. Well, lovely to have a chat as always and um wish you all the very best and thank you once again for joining us no problems at all. Thank you, Miss Helen. Thank you for tuning in to the Outback Way podcast. The show notes will be on our website at outbackway.org.au. If you are enjoying our podcast, please leave us a review. And if you are really enjoying our podcast, you may like to become a contributor through our Outback Way store. For $5, you can help with the production of our podcast. 
please stay in touch. We'd really love to hear your stories. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Outback Way One. And finally, thanks to Perk Digital for producing our podcast, making your journey through the heart of Australia on Australia's longest shortcut easier. Please travel safely. The Outback Way podcast is all about your trip. We're really trying to make it easier for you and give you valuable information to make it more enjoyable. So we'd love your feedback. Send your questions, comments and travel stories to info at outbackway.org.au and if you share your story, we may even feature you on this podcast. Thank you for joining us through the heart of Australia on Australia's Longest Shortcut. Cheers for now.